everybody. Welcome back to You Got a Dude. I'm Dina. And I'm Whitney. Or should I say, hello, I'm Whitney, because I'm posh. That <laughs> yeah. was an Australian accent, but this movie was big on accents. Yes, very big on accents. Today, we were hashtag blessed enough to watch the classic It Takes Two. This it really was a blessing. I am so, like, after watching everything that we've been watching of the Olsen twins, I'm just so happy to be back in a realm that I recognize. Yeah, it's been dark since Double Double. It really has been. Ugh, I love this movie. Happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. In case you missed last week's episode, which, you know, I just assume there's people popping in and out all the time. Whitney discovered that it is the 25th anniversary on November 17th of this movie coming out. So, of course, we had to celebrate. And that was also helped by the fact that it's available on Amazon Prime and we were able to watch it pretty easily. And let me just say, it doesn't look a day over 25. It looks exactly the age that it is. It looks 1995 to a T. <laughs> Especially with the cast, which I definitely yeah. want to get into later. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. So let me go into the synopsis. This one's a long one. There's a lot There's a lot happening here. Uh, I wasn't able to succinct this down, but... I can't wait. It Takes Two tells the story of two identical strangers, a point that we're supposed to accept and just not question the origin of. Amanda is a tomboy orphan growing up on the Lower East Side of New York, and Alyssa is the privileged heiress to a cellular fortune. Both struggling, Amanda with maybe getting adopted by kid collectors and Alyssa's dad marrying a true icon of cinema, Clarice Kensington. The strangers meet in the wood of Amanda's orphan camp, which is across the lake from Alyssa's mansion. They decide to switch places because, duh, that solves all the problems so that Amanda can use her parent repellent skills on Clarice. They also decide that Alyssa's cellular mogul father, played by Steve Gutenberg, should fall in love with Amanda's caseworker, Scientology's own Kirstie Alley. They do fall in love after approximately 35 minutes of talking over two meetings, but there's a pesky <laughs> engagement in the way. Clarice, sensing that the brat is going to get in the way, moves up the wedding to the next day, and before a plan can be hatched, Amanda, who is really Alyssa, is adopted. Caseworker is upset because she wanted to adopt her and forgets about trying to break up a marriage. Amanda gets the help of the butler, who only realizes that it's not Alyssa because of scars, and <laughs> he reveals everything to the caseworker, which somehow he finds, and orders her to get Alyssa back from the kid collector's because they adopted the wrong kid. The kid collectors have put Alyssa to work in their Staten Island trash heap. With the luck of a helicopter, they make it to the church in time to watch the Mongol dad break off the wedding during the vows, realizing he loves the caseworker, Diane. Then everyone realizes they've been duped, but don't care because they're off to start their fam. Duh. The end. <laughs> so happy. What a weird happy ending yeah. for people who have known each other two days. Yeah. I would say even for like a rom-com... I was shocked that I didn't remember how fast this relationship progressed. Yes, it went pretty quickly. I mean, we have one meeting where she almost dies on a horse, mm -hmm. and then one meeting where they're in the middle of a food fight, and then they do bathe in a lake. And I do say, I will say, that's like the height of rom com. Yeah, that was like definitely that. like a, a meet cute situation. Um, yeah, I didn't put in the exact distance, but how they get the quote unquote parents to meet is that they both take them out riding on horses, which Alyssa is obviously, Alyssa playing the orphan is a secret equestrian, takes out the other girl, and then they shoot a horse with a slingshot to get it to go rogue, hoping that the father will save her. 
but he yeah. ends up getting hurt and then he's just like oh hello stranger would you care to come back to my mansion for some iced tea i mean so basically she's in shock and he has a concussion and that's how they meet and the girls basically almost kill kirstie alley that's like their entire plan i mean not a bad plan honestly no and Kirstie Alley is just so charming in this. Yeah. Politics aside, Kirstie Alley really thrives in this role. Yeah, it's kind of like when in The Bachelorette, they make them go like skydiving and it's like that trauma bonding. And then and then they say something like, I'm really falling out of the sky just like I'm falling for him. You know, <laughs> yeah. like they always make them work in like a weird pun or like a weird like metaphor for their love. It's so weird on The Bachelor. So the movie starts with like this dichotomy of like piano recital versus stickball because we need to know that the twins are different. The the non-twins, I guess. Yeah. And we don't even need to play the guessing game of who is who in this movie (laughs) because we obviously know that Ash is going to be the posh, rich one. Mary-Kate's going to be the like cool tomboy playing stickball. Yeah. And like, I didn't really realize this until... I've recently watched this movie. I think I watched this when I was on a plane to visit you. I saw it available. And so, yeah, I watched it within the last year or two. And still, none of it occurred to me until watching it with, you know, obviously my critical journalistic eye that I now do. Of course. And the Rachel Sorality article we keep bringing up. That, like, it's never addressed. Like, everyone just says, like, oh, identical strangers and then moves on. Yeah, right. So first of all, I was almost so distracted by like their weird accents in this movie that I almost didn't even get the whole like twin thing or like lack of twin thing, lack of relation. But I just I'm shocked by the fact that they don't even bother to address it. Even at the end, when they like realize that there's two like matching sets of people, they're like, that's so weird that you guys look alike, but that you're not related. And it would have been such an easy plot point of like almost parent trap like, or maybe they wanted to separate themselves of that Alyssa, the rich girl could have been adopted as a baby. Absolutely. It would make complete sense. Yeah. So that was really weird. The opening with Amanda and all of her orphan friends, which I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. That's literally how they talk the entire movie. They're literally referred to as orphans just constantly. Yeah. I love all the side characters. I think they have like the best one-liners in the whole movie. I did get a little depressed with them saying like one of them comes up and says, oh, maybe I can get adopted with you because Amanda goes for like a look-see. And she's like, what do you think this is? A two-for-one deal? Get your own. And like the kid just wants a family. Dude, I can't (laughs) even. So, okay, we just need to get into this entire thing. I almost cried when when that little boy walked up and asked that. Oh my God, me too. Not to mention the part where she's like saying like, oh, like nobody wants to adopt like a a little kid. People only want babies. And I was like, oh my god, this makes me want to cry. And then they go to the fuck, or sorry, excuse me, (laughs) I curse. (laughs) I'm just gonna curse, fuck it. And then they go to the fucking butt kisses. Which is the name of the adopted, or the prospective adopted family, butt kiss. Yeah, thank you, Dina. Which, like, okay, this, this part we need to understand, because they make this entire movie into like this weird farce in this way, you know? Like, I feel like it's like a straightforward romantic comedy, but then the butt kiss angle is just these two people with like unibrows and they're like terrifying. It reminded me, you know that movie Matilda? It reminded me a lot of Matilda. 
that like where like every adult in that movie is like creepy and like they're like the monsters like these people who are like the prospective adoptive parents who have like 12 other kids of all shapes and sizes they're just like I don't know it just weirded me out so badly and it really I gotta tell you I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid I know all the lines so did I (laughs) right but like this movie really impacted how I see adoption It makes adoptive parents look creepy and like self-serving and just like over the top assholes, you know? Yes, yes. It does it does not give a positive eye also in the fact that the caseworker Diane Kirsiali like shows clear favoritism to Amanda and wants to adopt her out of all the other kids and she gets like <laughs> clear treatment. But the irony that she is a great mom, she's already practically been raising this kid. And this state won't allow her to adopt her because she doesn't make enough money. Like the political socioeconomic aspect of that of like, oh, we'll pay you to take care of them, but we won't pay you enough to where it would be a livable wage to do this great thing. Yeah, that seems insane to me. I did like the casting of the butt kisses, though. Like, the kid did look exactly like he would come from those parents. He really did. I, I, the whole, the whole thing is so creepy to me. The whole thing is so fucked up that I can't even, like, I can't even compliment the casting. And I, like, I, like, read an interview with the writer for this movie, and she's like, yeah, she's like, I visited, like, an, um... I guess an orphanage for lack of a better word. She's like, I visited one in Los Angeles just to like get to know like how they spend their lives. And you know, somebody actually like one of the little kids at the orphanage like said to me like, oh, people don't want to adopt a little kid. They want to adopt a baby. So I like made sure that it was in the movie. But then she like made light of it. Yeah. Not not only did she make light of it, she like made it into something that's like awful, like and scary. And like, I don't know, the whole thing was just a bit much for me. Yeah. Like the only people that would want to adopt older kids are they're going to use them to work in their trash heap yes it's awful but i did come up with a theory during this movie or i guess like a political stance Mm. which is that i wrote down every rich person like a billionaire should be required to adopt like bezos should have to adopt 100 kids and let them just live for free in his mansions and elon musk too but i i don't want him around children yeah like they should just pay for all the people that want to be foster parents like the diane's Yes. To get kids. Give them good homes. Um, I have a question that's like pretty much only pertinent to you. Is Staten Island the Inland Empire of New York? <laughs> I don't want to insult the Inland Empire in that way. Or Staten Island, really. I don't want to insult either of them for comparing them to one another. But honestly, probably. Inland Empire is the area we grew up in, which is east of LA and north of Orange County. Yeah, I would equate it to Fontana. Yeah. We get the iconic line in the beginning, can't eat, can't sleep, shoot for the stars over the fence, World Series kind of stuff, which is still my main mantra when it comes to my love life. Absolutely. I mean, like, I guess they must have experienced that on like day one. Yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. But yeah, I agree. I apply it to my own life. That's how I felt when I first met Bed. I quoted (laughs) it to him. He loved it. He was super into it. He texted me, PSU rock. Yeah. And that's when I knew. That's when you knew. Then we get into, we see Alyssa get off her private jet, um, a PJ as they refer to it on Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> Alyssa and Lala. Yeah. And I will say 
that her accent might be the worst piece of acting I've seen in a really long time. I don't know what's worse though, the Brooklyn accent or like Staten Island accent or this British accent. The posh British all day for me when she goes, oh, Vinny, you big fat fibber. Like (laughs) it is just so unnatural the way she says everything. And like even Vinny, I was like, is this supposed to be like a New England accent or is he supposed to be British? I will say the actor that played Vincenzo I really, even though he's in My Best Friend's Wedding as, like, the mogul, I will only ever see him as a butler after this. He also plays a judge in SVU a lot. Oh, shoot, no way. I could actually see that. I bet he'd be a good judge. But yeah, he's the best as Vincenzo. You big fat fibba. (laughs) Like, I wrote down, who told Ashley to do this? Yeah, yeah. They're like, all right, Ashley, let's play it up a little bit. (laughs) Um, I also find it fascinating that Steve Gutenberg himself does not have an accent, but she does. Yeah. And somehow she has, and I don't know, because I I didn't grow up in these circles, the fact that, like, she's so close with her father, but yet he has sent her off to boarding school at such a young age. Oh, yeah. And by the way, they're so close, except for he can't, he only just told her about his, like, fiance a month before the wedding. They've never met in their lives until now. (laughs) Also, terrible taste in women. Oh, Clarice is just... A gem. She comes in in a power suit that has shell print pleats over the boobs. I remember watching this for like the first time, or probably, let's be honest, every time when I saw this movie and thinking to myself like, oh, that's like wrong. What she's wearing like looks wrong. It looks like she's wearing like a Dita Von Teese like striptease outfit yes. over a power suit. Very strange. It has like tassels. Yeah. She is, I will say the best actor in the movie like her line delivery she she's played by the same woman that played carol in friends and she every line is it's like almost reminiscent of a moira rose from schitt's creek oh my gosh dude you are 100 percent correct she like really like upstages everybody else who she's in the scenes with yeah like, i can't you can't take your eyes off of her no. Really, now I see why, I guess, I see why he's engaged to her. Because you truly, <laughs> even though you would want to, you can't take your eyes off her. And this is skipping ahead, but they truly give her one of the most tragic haircuts oh partway through the movie. <laughs> like, why did it need to be that bad? Like, she gets a Karen haircut, or like, let me speak to the manager haircut, but like, age 20 years. Yeah, it looks really bad i i kind of love it because it is so 1995 of like a mid-30s woman who's just like cuts her hair short but then teases it up to the sky i do find it interesting too because it's like i thought that everybody knew like the peanut butter trick to get gum out of your hair and so the fact that they would just chop it off i was like oh okay that's weird to do like right before your wedding but that's cool (laughs) yeah and then we skip ahead the the kid the orphans go to the camp i will say that they have like a mercedes sign on their bus and as a kid i always thought it was supposed to be a peace sign and then i got them mixed up for probably the next five to seven years me too (laughs) it's like it's like there's like one more line or there's like you know it's exactly like to me still yeah oh we forgot to mention clarice when she um right after she meets Alyssa who Alyssa has no idea she's the father can't even tell them when they first meet 
Yeah, like, he's a pussy. He's a straight up pussy. So. Uh, good old Steve Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa hides in a room because she's staring at the orphans at the camp playing and is so jealous that they get to actually be kids instead of like award winning pianists. So sad. And then Clarice walks in and says one of the like most cra- crazy lines for a kids movie is, no wonder this woman died. She had no taste. Dude. Oh my gosh. I think I missed that probably every single time that I watched it, or at least it just like went over my head. But when I heard it this time, I was like, first of all, that's like a non sequitur. Like I've never heard. Like you don't die from having bad taste. So, yeah. okay. That's, that's one. But two, I was like, that is truly insane behavior. Yeah. And also, I liked the room. I mean, I thought it looked great. Yeah, it was like a little library. I could see how like a social climber wouldn't like it. But Clarice had the best lines of the entire movie. There was two more that I really, really liked. I liked, obviously, I used to quote this with my mom all the time when she was like introducing her to go play piano. Amanda as Alyssa. She's like in front of the the entire party introducing her and saying, this is my, you know, daughter to be. And, you know, and then she goes, whom I absolutely adore. (laughs) I love that. I think that that's so like hilarious and cute. And then when when Amanda as Alyssa goes up to play the piano and then she says it, oh my God, it's so great. See, that's like, I thought all of that stuff, like the orphan playing the rich girl when they switch places. I thought Mary-Kate did a great job in acting. Yes, yes. And Ashley did better when she wasn't forced to do that terrible accent. Yeah, I... I agree. I mean, I think here, do you always say that Mary-Kate's the better actress or who do you say is the better actress? Mary-Kate is. Okay, yeah. I think that it's clear here that she's way better and she kind of thrives in both roles. Then we get into the wedding stuff, which like, I guess they're getting married in a month, which I don't know, I guess socialite weddings can move quicker because there's money. But then it comes out that Steve Gutenberg's character has chosen his butler as his best man. Which I thought was like, that's weird. I think it makes sense. It's like Batman and um the guy who's his butler. What's it's his, his name? most trusted companion. I don't know, Dina. You know I don't know this. I watched the Olsen twins. <laughs> the meat cute we were talking about earlier, so I'm just going through my notes. We get into, I'm going to say is the most iconic food fight in film history. I, yes. I completely agree. Such quick thinking on the part of Alyssa as Amanda. She like sticks out her foot, trips another little orphan, which is really sad. But then the guy like flings it across the room and onto Steve Gutenberg's head. And then Kirstie Alley laughs. And so she yells as the camp counselor food fight. My one question about this was it was mac and cheese day and peach cobbler day, which is is a plot point. They be sure to call that out. Mm-hmm. And if you were doing a food fight, why would you pick so such similarly colored foods? Oh, you're right. Yeah. You want it to be like... It should have been a berry cobbler or something. I agree. Or maybe the sloppy joe. I don't know. <laughs> Please hire Dina for consulting on all your food fight scenes. Thank you. I have thoughts. Too many of them. <laughs> I don't have enough going on in my life. Um, side note, my dad was telling me and my sister-in-law, he was like, oh, don't worry about getting me anything for Christmas like he always does. And he was like, I know you both have a lot going on. And I was like, Dave, 
The problem is, is I don't have enough going on right now. I'm unemployed. I'm a stay-at-home dog mom. Yeah, you're like, please just let me get you a gift. Yeah. I need the distraction. And then I saw like a meme that I sent to my sister-in-law and it was like, for all the, when you send to your parents and they just said, no, I just want my kids to be happy. Like, oh trust gosh. me, it's easier for me just to buy you a gift instead of trying to be happy. Yeah, let's be real here. What yeah. do you want as a gift? I'll get you anything except for my own happiness. Yeah, that is unattainable. Yeah, the gift that you'll never get. Oh dear, we've taken a turn. <laughs> Dark turn. Yeah. Okay, can we just like really quickly talk about how Kirstie Alley is a romantic lead? First of all, at the age of 44, she was 44 when she made this movie, which I find, you know, amazing wow. that in the 90s, this was allowed. Steve Gutenberg's, I think like six to eight years younger than her. And she's just in, like, the sloppiest, most, like, oversized clothes the entire time. I'm like, good for you, girl. These are two things I wanted to bring up was, one, the fashion in this movie, and two, the casting of this movie. Yes. So, Kiersey Allen first. Like, you're going to make her a romantic lead and put her in the worst clothing of all time. Like, non-fitted sweater when it's supposed to be summer camp. Uh And it goes to, like wear a mini dress would not that she should be you know she doesn't have to wear a mini dress to be a romantic lead but it's just like and then it's flared boot cut pants it was truly an awful look uh Mm -mm. steve gutenberg kind of plays the reluctant billionaire which is fine but in the imdb it talks about who were the potentials for these roles dude i read this and i was like Oh my gosh. Like, we just need to read it out name by name, which is going to be boring for everyone. But let's just speculate on a few of these names for both of them. Yeah. Like, so the first one is, I believe it's Winona Ryder was the director's first choice to play Diane. So it's like a young 24-year-old Winona Ryder, and he ended up with 44-year-old Kirstie Alley. It's crazy. How is this possible? And then the second choice was Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which honestly, I would pay money to see That would have been so good. This would have been midway through the Seinfeld era, and Seinfeld didn't let her out to do it. And then it goes into a list of about 20 names. And it's like, basically, they just offered it to everyone of like in between 24 and 44. Yep. Our favorite Joan Cusack, Live Joan Life. Goldie Hawn, Julianne Moore, Demi Moore, Madonna. Jesus. And it says they were considered. So clearly it was just like a list and they like slowly but surely had to cross out every one of those. Yeah. They're like, okay, not Sandra Bullock, not Meg Ryan. Just keep going. And then for the butler, John Candy was considered for the role, but then he died. And so the list of possible butlers goes from Danny DeVito, Joe Pesci, Bob Hoskins, Bob Newhart, Jack Nicholson, as if in 1995, Jack Nicholson would have signed up to play the butler in a kid's movie. Honestly, though, okay. Oh, my God. I would have loved to see that. He's like, hey, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? You know? (laughs) And, like, the butler plays, like, such, like, a lovable teddy bear, like, almost (laughs) Mr. Belvedere adjacent type of thing. Um, which I don't know if anybody knows who Mr. Belvedere is, but... If you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rubens, which I'm guessing the scandal kind of maybe axed him out of it. Was that around the same time? Oh, God. I think so. I loved Pee-wee. But side note, I've met Paul Rubens. He was a lovely guy. He was in a business meeting. He showed up and I was the receptionist. And I was like, oh, "Oh, somebody's here to see you. And she was like, who is it? I was like, I don't know. He kind of looks like Pee-wee Herman. She was like, it is. And I was like, 
Okay, then yeah, he's here. <laughs> okay, well, then then I got it right. <laughs> um, Shannon and Doherty was considered to play Clarice. Honestly, they got the best Clarice they could have. Absolutely. The woman who played Clarice, I forget her name now, but she did just like the best job ever. Ron Howard was approached to direct, but he turned it down because he was busy with Apollo 13. Who was the producer that was casting this wide of a net? Like the reach, the audacity of the reach. Really, it just makes me wonder, like, I would love to see the list for like all movies like this. Like this is the most extensive could have played lists that I've seen on any movie page. And I feel like, like, why are they telling us all of this? This is crazy. Yeah. But then the other things was that the other thing that I wanted to mention was that Mara Wilson, aka Matilda, she was considered for the role of both Amanda and Alyssa. And then so was Christina Ricci. Which, you know, it's it's just incredible to think about. Think about the, the casting of Christina Ricci, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like the most random cast you could think of. Yeah, I was like, it had. I wrote this down when I read that, that it hadn't even occurred to me that it wasn't just automatically written for the Olsen twins because all their other movies were. Yeah. Obviously. And so they were the ones that like, basically they were the producers behind all their other movies. And so that this is the only one they probably, they like joined in on. And it never occurred to me that they could have been played by one person. I know. And I just, I was like, oh, oh yeah. Don't you think that it's weird though, that like immediately after this movie or not immediately, but just a few years, the parent trap came out and for the parent trap, they only cast the one girl. Like, why didn't they just cast the Olsen twins for the parent trap? It's the same exact movie. (laughs) (laughs) I assumed the Olsons were approached. Oh, you think? Yeah. I wonder. I'm going to, you keep talking. I'm going to look this up. Okay. I'll go through the possible casting for Roger Calloway, which is billionaire Zaddy, who was not a Zaddy. Um, Mm -mm. Steve Martin, Kurt Russell, Rick Moranis, Harrison Ford, Pierce Brosnan, Mel Gibson, Bill Paxton, RIP, John Travolta, Stephen Collins, Creeper, Michael Keaton, Bill Murray and like Brian Cranston. Like Brian Cranston would have been what, like 25 also? Yeah, he would have been super young. Like I just don't understand. Like, I are these just like early wish lists or like how many of these people were approached? Yeah, that's a good point. I will say Steve and Chris Kirsty, my apologies. Um <laughs> had more chemistry than I thought they would. Me too. I, I don't want to go off on a rant about Steve Gutenberg, but I don't I don't know. No, please. I need a I need a Steve Gutenberg rant in my life. I okay. I it's so funny. I just had this conversation texting with uh, my boyfriend and his friends about Steve Gutenberg. I find him to be <laughs> the least likable person who ever like led any kind of films ever. I think that he comes off as fake. I think that he comes off as phony. He's a worse <laughs> Rick Moranis. I honestly, I just the entire time, I don't think that he's that cute. I don't think that he is that funny. I think I think that everybody calls him a nice guy. And especially in reading like reviews, like modern day takes on It Takes Two, everybody calls him like a daddy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He is fooling all of you. I've truly never heard you get so passionate. <laughs> I also have strong Gutenberg thoughts on this. Similarly, I was just like, I was like really unsure about it, especially coming at it now that I'm probably supposed to be of a similar age to like find him attractive. Like I assume we are now that I'm 33 as I cry in the corner about it. I assume we're the age that Diane was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And 
I I agree with the Rick Moranis point. He is a worse off Rick Moranis, but I think especially as a kid, I had such a soft spot for Steve Gutenberg, you know, as all little girls do, um, <laughs> because he was also in Three Men and a Little Lady, which I liked. Yeah. But he was arguably the worst of the three dads because the other ones are Tom Selleck and Ted Danson. Exactly. Which, those are clear zaddies. Clearly. I mean, even now, they're, they're grand zaddies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was bad. Really quickly for the parent trap, it doesn't say that the Olsen twins were ever considered. It says that Lindsay Lohan was handpicked by Nancy Myers, and it said that Mara Wilson also auditioned for this. Poor Mara Wilson. Oh, wow. Scarlett Johansson, Michelle Trachtenberg, and Tina Margarino. So no Olsen twins. I think there was probably, and this is me, me going deep into my conspiracy theories, I love it. That people probably approached the Olsen twins over time to do a remake, and then right. they made this. And I would say probably Nancy Myers and her goddamn kitchens were probably against the Olsen twins. <laughs> her goddamn kitchens, Nancy. <laughs> Nancy. You and your goddamn kitchens. That's my theory. I like that. I think that that's probably correct. Uh, can we can we just really quickly discuss this entire wedding from start to finish? Yes. So first of all, they're supposed to get married in a month, and then she moves it up. I don't know how you get a venue in New York City, like, next day. St. Bart's. Not even a venue. Right. The venue. Yeah. To, yeah, the next day. And yeah. somehow it is a full church. Just, yeah, everybody's cleared their schedules for the next month just in case Clarice goes crazy and needs to move the wedding up. And it's gotten to all of the reporters because all the, like, even the butt kisses know that the wedding's been moved up. Um, it's on the radio. It says Clarice has landed her man. I honestly, the way that they refer to her, they call her like a socialite. All I could think was that she's basically like Paris Hilton. I was thinking Tinsley. Oh my gosh, you're so right. <laughs> the coupon queen. <laughs> Tinsley, the coupon queen got her man. But I also really, really loved the um the vows that they do. Uh, because I could honestly see myself pulling a Clarice <laughs> as they're like saying the vows. The way that she goes, she's like, I do, I do, I really do now him. <laughs> okay, I get it, I get it. Just go. I love like the tuxes that they're wearing are just, like, so clear 90s, like, with the I big fat strapped striped tie that, like, everybody had. Donald Trump tie. So the, she goes, now him, and then the reverend or whoever it is says, like, gives him the, like, vows. And he, like, basically just pulls, like, a JD and scrubs or something or just, like, looks off into the distance and has, yeah. like, this full reminiscent montage of all of his moments with Diane, which are twice that he's met her. All of his moments, literally twice. Ugh. And they couldn't even like do it from the perspective of like his point of view. They just replayed all of the moments that they already had filmed, which was great. I always find it so interesting too that they like, okay, this guy's allegedly supposed to be so smart that he like bought airspace and whatever. Now he's like a cellular mogul. But like he's so dumb that he he likes Clarice so much that he's going to marry her. But then it takes meeting a woman twice for him to be like, huh, maybe not. Maybe I don't. Yeah. And then I did like the choice that he called off the wedding before the twins, like, forced it to happen. Right. I do like that, too. Because it did make it seem more authentic. Right. And he came to his own conclusion. It's not that, you know, he's getting manipulated by his 
daughter and her doppelganger. They, and then Clarice. Okay, so then he calls Oh, this off. is the best part. <laughs> Clarice walks down the aisle. She's, again, the way that they make these, like, these adults out to be, like, monsters. She's about to hit a child who's standing in front of her, you know? Like, she, like, raises her arm like she's going to hit her. And then she, like, walks past. And then, is it Alyssa? I think Alyssa steps on her gown and rips it. No, it even goes further than that. So first, she goes to hit Amanda, who's... Right, right, right. ...playing, and... Vincenzo, the butler, is like, if you strike this child. So this grown woman, this socialite, coupon queen, is going to hit a child in front of a church of her family and friends. Oh, my God. It, like, is about to strike a child. And Vincenzo goes, if you lay a hand on that child, I'll kill you, basically. So she stomps off, walks down the aisle, and then sees the other one and goes, literally says, well, at least I'll get to hit one of you. So good. And then goes to hit her and the social worker, Diane's like, back off Barbie or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, Alyssa steps on her dress and exposes her granny panties to the whole church. Oh, but she tries good. to hit two children. Right. I, fr- I mean, yeah, I confused in my head. It's crazy that she's just so evil that she first is making fun of the dead wife and then is about to strike two children. And again, Steve Gutenberg, great decision-making skills, buddy. You're about to marry this woman. Yeah. Not that Steve Gutenberg himself is going to marry her. I'm sorry. And then the dad sees both girls for the first time, and he's finally in the know, because apparently everyone else has known all day that there's two of them. This is his first time finding out. And he just accepts it. It's fine. And then they walk out, and they're like, kiss already and they kiss and now everybody's just a happy family and we're just left to assume that roger will adopt the other lookalike and nothing is brought up of the other orphans yeah so i have quite a few questions that remain from this movie um which i will ask you all in time but the first question like what do you think happens from here like what do we think is going to happen I think Roger is either going to give Diane a position or so that she makes enough money to adopt or he will adopt Amanda and they like get married or whatever. And then he opens a private home for kids and it becomes oh, okay. like a lush like he improves their lives or whatever. I like that. So hopefully starting with all of the butt kisses first, because all those poor kids are just abandoned when the rich girl gets saved. I want them to start with the kid that wanted to get adopted. Oh, obviously. Good point. Okay, definitely that boy, because he was the cutest. But then I just felt so bad that all the butt kisses are just like, like, they're like, okay, rich girl, come to the come to the helicopter. And then it makes it out like the butt kiss adopted kids are like the bad ones because they're like treating her like she's like yeah, in but Lord clearly of the they've flies. been abused. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So then I'm like, man, I feel really bad that they kind of painted them out to be like weird, evil kids themselves when they're clearly not. I don't know. Oh, this is an interesting thing that we had kind of t- touched on in a previous episode. Um, did you see that at one point during this movie? Mary-Kate did have to play both parts because Ashley was unavailable. I did, and I was so excited to bring that up to you. I had never noticed, and I was so disappointed in myself. <laughs> like It was such a like personal crisis for me. Oh, no, Dina. You're not the expert you thought you were. I know. So should we get into um, Fashion Report? We've kind of gotten into it. 
Yes, let's let's get into fashion report. I love it. So Alyssa, this fake posh girl, she comes, she starts the movie in like a cream pantsuit on an yes. eight-year-old. And I did not love the outfit with the jacket on, but I did love it with it off. Um, it was like a cream pantsuit with like embroidered flowers and she had like the full like sunflower hat. I kind of liked the entire ensemble. Oh, you did? Yeah, unfortunately, because it was because of the the appliques or like embroidered flowers. I really liked those. I was like, (laughs) man, when I was younger, I think that I would be like, oh, that's high class, probably because of this movie. Yeah. That's really rich. Other than that, like Amanda just wears like street clothes. Like she's, she always says why a dress, but she wears a dress a lot throughout the movie. Yep. I questioned how hard did they have a like how hard did they have to work to find an outfit because like to fit both characters because when the mix-up happens they both happen to be wearing overalls and like a mauve top yeah and I was like how big of a discussion was this I know and it was like the perfect sort of like like they looked like twins but slightly different so Mm -hmm. it was like perfect so you could tell who's who but then I was like, man, like, what a coincidence that these two, two <laughs> kids who happen to look exactly identical are also wearing, like, the exact identical outfits. And the fact that they accepted it so quickly, I know I'm going back to this, is just mind-blowing. No, dude, they accepted it. Within a minute, they had already accepted it, come up with a plan. And then even when they met back up, like, when they were after they had switched for the first time and they met back up, they came up with a plan to get Steve and Kiersey together within, like, another 45 seconds. Like, yeah. they were just, I was like, they're so much smarter than we were as kids. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, Kiersey Alley had the worst fashion ever. It, it was amazing that anyone could fall in love with her. Um, I'm thinking iconic 90s fashion, like, Diane should have been dressed as Elaine Bennis. Honestly, that's exactly... When I read uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I was like, oh, I could see this being a lot better in Elaine's whole weird long skirts and whatnot. Yeah, I would say Elaine, or Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is my top pick for Diane. Yeah. Um, Who is your top pick out of the Jeff Goldblum, Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd, Bruce Willis? Who's your Roger Calloway? Hmm. I'm gonna go... I'm going to go Bill Paxton. Okay, okay. I think that's a cute couple, and he's pretty charming. Okay, I like that. You know who would be really interesting to watch? would be Harrison Ford. Like, can you imagine that? (laughs) That was pretty funny. Without any humor. But you know what? He'd be funnier than Gutenberg. (laughs) So (laughs) anti-Gutenberg. I am. And then Vincenzo. I actually really like Vincenzo. I wouldn't recast him. Yeah, me too. You can't get better than that guy or Clarice. Yeah. They were great. Clarice's fashion is just, she has weird loud prints, um, the shell boobs, the, what else does she wear? She wears like a pink pantsuit. Yeah. Lots of pantsuits in this movie. Yeah. And then that weird, that weird like dress that she's wearing with like the white top or maybe it's like a skirt. Yes. But when she gets her hair cut, she looks like a bird because it's like a green weird (laughs) skirt, a white top. And then like her hair is just like. I feel like I had a dress like that. Oh my gosh. I think I had a dress like that in like 2013. Sadly. (laughs) (laughs) um why is vincenzo's like a family friend he's the best man in the wedding there's clearly some osha lines being crossed but he's also always in a like a tux or like a suit wasn't mr belvedere though (laughs) i think in the later seasons maybe they let him wear a cardigan 
Okay. Really need to rewatch that of why this like regular suburban family had a butler. <laughs> that gave us unrealistic expectations of what it is to be like a middle class suburban family. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's, you know, you can't afford a home. Okay, so let's get into favorite lines of the movie, which I've okay. already said like two of mine, but I just want to say my absolute favorite line was when it's Amanda as Alyssa on the horse, and obviously she's never ridden a horse, so she like sucks. She's with Gutenberg, and he's he looks over at her, and she's like bouncing all on the horse, and he's like, where's your form, young lady? What happened to those equestrian classes you took? And then she responds back, she goes, <laughs> are you asking me equestrian? Like, as a kid, I thought that was funny. As an adult, I thought that was hilarious. It's a good one. I had never noticed that joke until this watch. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> also, side note, I love that you just refer to him as Jess Gutenberg due to your disdain for him. <laughs> Is the goot the opposite of the goat? Uh, from henceforth, yes, it yeah. is. That's a real goot. That's a real goot. I have so many favorite lines. What's your other one? Um, no, that was it. That was all. And, and then, and then at the end, where she was like, "I do, I do, I really do." Now him, you know, because I could just. I mean, I think that we can all relate. So I'll just. I wrote them down, like, because I was just like, I can't miss any of these. What this isn't, um, like so much as a line as the very aggressive Brooklyn accent to start off with. Like they start off with these super strong accents and then they like dissipate as the film goes on. But (laughs) Amanda says, I ain't going to hurt it. Then she says to, cause the kid, the other orphan kids bet her that she will knock on the door, which is how she makes it to the mansion. Mm -hmm. And so she's asking them for money because they're like, daring her to do it she goes cough it up choir boy so aggressive and then one of the orphans later when they can't find her goes she's probably eating her liver right now oh my god which was our favorite little boy oh clarice says when like she's trying to tell roger that it's fine amanda will or Alyssa will get over this engagement she goes trust me i'm a woman Oh, yes, yes. Honey, trust me, I'm a woman. Like, as if... I'm a woman! <laughs> yeah, as if Tinsley would know what to do. Yeah. Um, pissed Miss is a great one when Vinny says it. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, I liked when, when Kirstie Alley says, guys like him like girls with food names. <laughs> like, cookie, muffin, candy. They don't marry girls like me. And it's like, by the way, like, pump your brakes, Diane. Like... Yeah. I mean... You don't need to marry the guy. Yeah, and in that, she also goes, he's only worth $20 billion. And I was like, remember when that was like an unattainable amount and now we have Jeff Bezos? I know. (laughs) We're like, oh yeah, we wish. And then I think my last one is, oh, when Alyssa gets adopted by the butt kisses and somehow it's the next day and she hasn't met any of the kids and she gets like introduced to all of them. And... Alyssa, who's clearly only grown up in a mansion, is appalled by this dining room table surrounded by kids. And he goes, okay, you're going to go see your dad at work today uh, without knowing that she's going to be forced into child labor. And the dad goes, hey, scoot over, give Betty some cocoa puffs. (laughs) I don't know why, but that line delivery is so good. That guy, I mean, that guy. Yeah, no, I agree. Fine. You win. That part was funny. Despite the fact that I didn't want to be entertained by the butt kisses. 
I mean, the rest of it's, like, super creepy and stuff, but just, like, he really took, like, a subpar line and just took it over the top. Absolutely. I also just wanted to say, this isn't a quote from the movie, but rather this is a quote from Ved, just my boyfriend, coming into the room as he's, like, leaving to go do something else, and he just looks at the screen, and then he goes, huh, can you believe that there was ever a time that Kirstie Alley ever starred in a movie? And I was like, what? Like, why do you say that? I mean, truly, a romantic lead. I mean, almost 10 years or five years after it takes two, or not it takes two. That's the movie we watch. What is it? Look who's talking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Which is how I learned about Conception. I think every small child should watch it. It's very informative. The opening sequence is the sperm going to the egg. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knew? (laughs) a plot hole that i thought was kind of weird was so amanda like has to go to vincenzo and she's like i'm not Alyssa. you don't believe me and he just thinks that she's trying to get out of it because um she doesn't want to be a part of this wedding yeah and the only reason he like believes her was that she has different scars and she's like you've known Alyssa since she was born you know every part of her body, which is a weird line. Oh, I'd never thought of it that, that way, but you're right. That is really creepy. And she starts pointing out scars, but Amanda or Alyssa, they could have given them like wildly different names. It would really help us out here. Sure. Alyssa goes to boarding school. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, she could have gotten that literally anywhere. He's not with her 24 seven. Like, yeah, makes sense. I agree. You know, because this all needs to make exact sense because I, I demand it every movie make logical sense. Man, so speaking of it making sense, I don't know if you like looked at Rotten Tomatoes about this. No, but... I didn't. Inform me. Okay, so basically, I mean, it's like an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes on the That's tomatometer. Yeah, it's really bad. But then all of the reviews, I mean, it's basically like... Like, everybody's Scott Weinberg in this case, but, like, in the New York Times, Roger Ebert, everything. Which, by the way, Scott Weinberg also reviewed the movie, but he just gave it a star. He didn't actually give it a an amazing Weinbergian review. Mm-hmm. But basically, everybody, like, says, like, that. They're like, oh, you know, like, the twins, it's too cutesy. It doesn't make any, like, sense logically. All this other stuff. And I'm like, man, like, how sad that people, I don't know, like... How sad that people review it as if it's supposed to be like high art, like they're reviewing it alongside like an Oscar movie. Like it's clearly not meant to be the same thing. It's meant to be for like kids. It's meant to be cutesy. It's meant to make, you know, not quite make logical sense, I guess. But it's meant to like have this plot that like little kids appreciate, you know? Yeah, it was meant for me to see on my what would have been eighth birthday. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like we were the audience like. Why are all these people expecting it? And I, I guess, like, I was just saying plot points that don't make sense. But I thoroughly enjoyed the watch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it's great then. It was honestly great just, like, now as an adult. But, I mean, I guess, like, now Pixar movies are, like, you know, Toy Story or Up or whatever it might be. They kind of have something for, like, kids and adults, you know? But I just felt like back in the day when we were kids, it was, you know, they were intended to be kind of, like talking to us as kids not trying to like wink at our parents so much and be like oh look how like funny this movie is or how clever or whatever I don't know 
Yeah, it's the same thing as, like, the loss of, like, the $10 million movie budget. Like, everything's either indie or, like, a Marvel movie. Exactly. And this is just a run-of-the-mill, four kids. It doesn't... And, like, it's not trying to teach you any sort of big lesson, which I think a lot of Pixar movies now do. Yeah. And everything has to be educational. No, this is a simple plot point of two identical strangers. Just accept it. And they're going to get two people and, like, honestly, good for them to be both average-looking people <laughs> to fall in love. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll say that for Gutenberg. He sure is average-looking. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that that's all part of it. It's, like, everybody in the movie – it's so interesting looking back on those movies, too, in the 90s. It's, like, everybody kind of looked very, like, normal. Like, nobody was really, like, done up too much. Kirstie Alley was just, like – she looked like a normal human being. Her hair was, like, frizzy. She was wearing frumpy clothes. Like, I just kind of appreciated that they had her look so natural where, like, even – Nowadays, if the movie came out, I feel like they would cast somebody who's like, I don't know, like a Blake Lively or something. Yeah. And have her look still like glamorous, but like undone, you know? I wonder what was going on through the director's like point of view to go from Winona Ryder. Like, because I'm going to guess that all the the producers considered like, oh, that was just like ideas on a board. But like the director wanted Winona Ryder. Mm-hmm. And how he went from, and this was his directorial debut. And I, I love me a directorial debut. Absolutely. And he went on to direct Hitch, Sweet Home Alabama. Fools Rush In. Yeah, which, you know, I also rewatched that one recently. Good one. Oh, I need to. Um, I love me some Matthew Perry. But what was his thought process that he's like, in his head, oh, I'm going to make a big movie. I'm going to get Winona Ryder. Like, this is post-Crucible. Yep. And is his next choice Kirstie Alley or is he just searching for anybody that will sign on the dotted line? Because of the proximity of this movie to like other things in her career, I just have to fathom a guess that like Kirstie Alley basically was honestly like probably the last choice on the list, you know? Like I just don't think that she was like in vogue. And if I'm looking at this like a casting director, then I'm like, I think that she would be probably pretty far down especially the age age difference between her and Gutenberg it's like pretty you know it's just not what you would expect I guess yeah I would say like due to coming off three men and a little lady I would say Goot was like probably like a mid-range choice for this role yeah definitely I assume they probably wanted him with a much younger actress just because it is Hollywood mm-hmm. and Kirstie Alley was in between Look Who's Talking and Veronica's Closet, which are probably things that only I remember. I used to watch Veronica's Closet all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Big Kirstie Alley fan from that, so. Yeah. Do you remember being, like, so disappointed when you found out Kirstie Alley was a crazy Scientologist? Uh, Yeah. I mean, just, like, over and over. Because, obviously, from this movie, I think probably you, too, like... I, like, adored her. I thought that she was, like, the height of, like, humor. Like, when she, like, lifts up her boobs in the dress where she's, like, waiting to meet him. Yeah. She, like, adjusts her boobs and she's, like, all right, ladies, like, let's, you know, pay attention or whatever. I'm, like, the height of humor. Especially as a kid, I just thought that she was, like, the funniest. And then turns out that behind that humor is darkness. Did Scientology have to sign off on this film? Yeah. 
we should probably not talk about Scientology, honestly, because I'm <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> we love Scientology. Let's be clear. Very pro. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> do you think Gutenberg? Like, what do you think Gutenberg's up to right now? I think he just did something. I want to say. Did he? He was. Ju- I feel like I just watched him on something, and I forget what it is. Were you like ew? No, because I told you <laughs> I'm not anti-goot. <laughs> oh, so instead of the latest Olsen gossip is this latest Gutenberg gossip. Yes, because, okay, so I looked up the latest Olsen gossip. There is none except for Kendall Jenner of the Kardashians wore the row head to toe and she captioned it, the row head to toe on Instagram. And that is literally it for the gossip this week. Wow. Yeah. So on the Gutenberg gossip. Oh, this is what I think I watched recently of his. So, which are both non-recent. Uh, I saw him in an episode of Party Down. Right, right. Okay, I remember for that. For Steve Gutenberg's birthday. And then he also played a character in Veronica Mars, which I just re-watched like at the beginning of this year. Or I watched for the first time. And he had a pretty significant role, but... That was me thinking it was recent, but it was made in 2005. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's shocking. And then since then, he's done like some things I've never heard of. I'm guessing they're like TV movies and crap like that. And mm-hmm. then he was in Ballers. Okay. Um, Rob With Corddry, the rock. the rock. Yeah. <laughs> I like how I give Rob Corddry top billing. Yeah, like the fact that he said that, I was like, That's- <laughs> Very well known to be like the show at the rock. <laughs> That's so yeah. good. It was, that just shows where I'm at. I'm like, oh, that Rob Corddry show. <laughs> and then he's in the Goldbergs, which I've never really seen, but my mom watches. Yeah, so that makes sense. So basically, he's in nothing that I watch, which is exactly how it should be. Yeah. I mean, he's going to stay away from you. You're going to stay away from him after <laughs> this. And we can yeah. call a real big truce. Yep. Okay. That's fine. And everybody who's listening, I'm kind of kidding about that, but mostly not. You d- you don't need to. Steve is not listening. I, I just always feel bad, but if he listened and then I'm like just the asshole who's like disparaging him. He's probably like living in his like Pacific Palisades mansion. Like he's <laughs> fine. He's like living off those. Does he have any residuals? Like maybe police academy resi- royalties? That would make sense. I mean, hey, he was just on Ballers, so... Yeah, all the good money. He has a network show that he's doing. He's doing great. Steve, you're doing great. You don't need my support. You don't need Whitney's approval. But boy, you want it, don't you? I wonder if he was a sex symbol. Allegedly, honestly, everything that I'm reading says that he kind of was. And I find it weird. Yeah. I, like, who would be, like, the goot of the day? Ooh, um... I miss when Ryan Reynolds didn't have muscles and was just, like, a comedic actor. Same with Chris Pratt. Weren't we having that conversation of, like, who muscles ruin? Yeah, Chris Pratt for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I have a random question for you. Yeah. Or a few that all go together. So I think that we talked about how in the movie they're they're just simply identical. They're not sisters. Allegedly, they're unrelated. Like, I don't know. Did you ever see How I Met Your Mother? Like, where they talk about how everybody in the world has a doppelganger? Yes, yes. Okay, do you think that that's true? And have you ever seen, like, a person who looks like you? Other than me, because everybody always accuses me and Dina of looking alike, which I find hilarious, because we're both brunettes. Yeah. 
Like, there was one girl, like, in college, and I would always joke, like, she was kind of like me. Like, we had similar glasses and stuff. But I will, and maybe it's because I used to change my appearance so often that, like, people can't even tell me what celebrity I look like. Oh. And so I, um, I never really had that, but there was one girl that I used to work with when I worked at a media agency. And it was all like open seating because it's, you know, the hip thing. Right. And this girl was like the project manager for like very major brands. So everybody needed to come talk to her all the time. And people would get us mixed up all the time. Like they would come up to me and be like, Trista, blah, blah. And her and I were good friends. And so we were like, we have short-ish hair and glasses. Like that's where it ends. (laughs) I love that. Like, it got to the point that there was this receptionist woman. She was the nicest lady. And there was, like, 200 people in this office. So the fact that she was even remotely, like, keeping track of any detail was just amazing. Right. And she would come up to me and, like, start talking to me about the cat or, like, my new cat. And then I would realize that Trista just got a new cat. Oh, my gosh. And so I would just, like, go along with it because I didn't want to hurt this woman's feelings. Even to the point of, like, people saying hi to me in the hall. And when she left, people would still say, like, hi to me as her. And I was just like, she doesn't work here anymore, including the guy that sat next to her. Oh, my God. And I was like, Tim, you sat next to her. You're on my team. You should know the difference. <laughs> I like that, actually. That's really good. Um, which I'll send you, like, like, we don't look that much alike. Like, I have a photo of both of us. I always think that it's so funny when people say the whole doppelganger thing. I find it so interesting and weird because it's always like stuff like that where it's like just because it's the short hair and the glasses, like it's not really like, I don't know, because I have like the spectrum of like the lookalike thing, like where people have told me that I look like Gal Gadot, which I find very flattering. I don't, but I see it. I Thank you. Thanks so much, but definitely not that. But then also on the other end of things, one time, this is a funny doppelganger story. One time my brother was visiting with his wife and it was a while ago, but um, he pulled up this picture and he's like, Whitney, come over here. And he like tells me to come over there. And he's like, look, this like, you look exactly like this girl, like exactly like her. And Dina, I started to cry. (laughs) I was like are you kidding me? Like, is this a joke? Because I mean, it just like was not a flattering picture. It wasn't like flattering at all. And I was like, it's terrible. I hate to say that. But I like, I, I was just so offended. And then in the middle, I in when I was living in American Samoa, which again, sorry to share yet another American Samoa um, story. But when I was in American Samoa, I worked with a girl who was probably like half my size. She had like longer brown hair. The only thing that like that we looked alike was that we were white and we had brown hair. So because <laughs> of that, we were like constantly confused. And she was my boss and people would, <laughs> I didn't know that people were confusing us. So people would come up to me and ask me like whether or not they should do something or like, you know, they were asking me for permission. And I was like, oh, it's weird that they're asking me for permission. But yeah, of course, go for it. And then she would come back and she'd be like, why did so-and-so like take the truck like without asking me? And I was like, oh, (laughs) he asked me because he thought that I was like in charge. (laughs) (laughs) So doppelganger trouble. Yeah. Like I've never had, I mean, I guess similarly, it was just like that, but I've never had like a Gal Gadot. Like I've never been that honored. I think like, People have always told me I'm like Daria, which, yeah, I guess. Totally. 
One time I had a friend's dad tell me I look like the love child of Drew Barrymore and Lindsay Lohan, Mm. which I did not know how to take. And this was like 2003, 2004. So it was a good good Lindsay time. And it wasn't a great Drew Barrymore time. Now it would be reversed. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Now, now Drew Barrymore is like an affable TV host. Yeah. I also got Drew Barrymore when we were in junior high. I remember like standing in line for PE. I don't see that at all for you. Me neither. But they said it was because of my chin and maybe like my mouth. I don't know. Which, which oh. like I do not have the Drew Barrymore mouth. That is like an intense mouth. But maybe my chin. And then I've also gotten um, Aubrey Plaza, which I think also it was oh, like. Oh, Yeah the personality the way you talk but then again it's like a brown hair brown brown eyed girl I don't know I've gotten like I'm like April just in personality but never in looks obviously people what I used to get like when we were probably like 19 or 20 is I would always get Juno which Mm. I get yeah and then um which is once again only something you and I understand which is like half the things I post on the internet are just for Whitney is (laughs) The MTV classic, My Life is Liz. Oh my god. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I literally have such vivid memories of me living in New York and you being in California and we would text each other when like My Life is Liz was on. <laughs> or would we, I don't know if it was that was during it or after, but anyway, we'd text each other about My Life is Liz. Yeah, and she had that boy crush and yes. yeah, and I was so upset. I was like, why don't I have somebody that likes me clearly? I was, like, I need to know if that was real or fake. I know, I know. Who was the guy that we had a crush on in geometry? What was that? What did we call him? Our guy? Our guy. Oh, it was just <laughs> our guy. You guys, I forgot. All I remember is that he had like such a particular like weird walk. Yeah. And like, okay, so the story is, is Whitney and I had geometry together, which is kind of like how we like became closer friends. Yes. Um, and we just like sat in a corner and Whitney would put eyeliner on a guy she would later have a crush on. <laughs> Not at the time, but later. <laughs> but which, later. hi, Eric. If you're listening, hi, Eric. Eric, if you're <laughs> listening, contact us to be on the show. <laughs> and we would leave this and go to like a similar building for the next class. And we would see this guy and like, it was one of those things that we kind of talked about last episode that Whitney and I, because we were friends through another person, we didn't realize how much we had in common. Yeah. And so we were walking and I was like, I really think this guy's cute. And Whitney was like, I see him every day. <laughs> and then we started competing as to who he was making eye contact with because apparently <laughs> we were just two like 14-year-old girls and I probably looked 11 and Whitney looked age appropriate <laughs> just staring at him. And, and he was like a senior. <laughs> Through these crowds, by the way, because people don't know that, like, our school was, like, 4,000 people. Yeah, it was a huge high school. Yeah, so when you would go out through passing period, you would see, like, 200 people just, like, mingling at a time. And we would, like, spot him from across the way and be, like, (laughs) staring daggers at him. (laughs) Because we were not subtle at all. Nope. Both of us doing it. Oh, my God. And then we found out that we were both doing it and so that he, oh, geez, um, clearly didn't, like... We didn't know who he was looking at. He was probably scared for his life. To be fair, though, I don't blame us for doing that because it worked for Nicole. Oh, yeah. Our Our friend. Yeah, go ahead. You explain it. Okay. The only reason I can explain this is because I was next to her when it happened. So our friend Nicole that we've talked about on the show, Nicole, if you're listening, hello. um, She would always smile at somebody. And she told us about it. And we're like, oh, yeah, we have somebody, too. 
And then we didn't know who it was, even though I was like walking with her during that period that it like would happen. Yeah. And then he passed her a note, which now looking back was the creepiest love letter of all time. And at the time, like we had no logical like sense of how people expressed romantic feelings or emotion. Sure. And so we were just like, wow, he must really like you. And looking back, like weird. Super weird. And then Nicole, like, she had the most diverse taste in men ever. She, like, went from, like, a surfer guy to this guy or whatever that guy, Justin or whatever his name was. And she was just like, no, he seems nice. And then proceeded to, like, date him. I mean, even though he had no concept of, like, how to form a sentence outside of this, like, letter. Thank you. Yes. Because do you remember there was like those couple times when we would like all be together or like we would like happen to like be hanging out and then he would be there and like he couldn't speak. He just was like so shy. And I think he was like a senior. He was like way older than us and way older, (laughs) you know, not that much older, but it seemed like he was older. I mean, at that time, it's like 14 to like 18. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then it was just weird that he would be like, like so talkative in these letters to her but then out loud wouldn't be able to say anything to like these 14 year old girls just very strange yeah I think I went to Universal Studios with them and like the whole day like I just ended up talking to like her mom who's really awesome um but I I just talked to the mom all day just because I was just like I can't I can't deal with this even as a 14 year old I was like it's just odd and yeah his love letters were like so expressive and it just gets into the fact that I mean, Grant and Nicole ended up being into it. I don't know if she initially was. Mm-hmm. But, like, he was just like, oh, a girl smiled at me. I am going to write her a letter. She will be mine. Is it bad that I still think that's kind of romantic? No, no. This is because we've we've all been tainted. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. But, yeah, good for her. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of speaking of this sort of thing, actually, I just have a second and final question for you. Uh-huh. And then I'll be done with my random questions. But let's say you weren't with Drew and I wasn't with Avez, who are taking yeah. this as, as single ladies. Do you think that you could ever meet somebody and then fall for them and then help to stop their wedding in only a matter of like 48 hours? Ooh. Is there an orphan involved? For sake of argument, let's say yes. Oh, okay. Then yeah, obviously. No, I... <laughs> what if it was the goo? Just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, like, more so than the goo, like, you have to take into the account, like, he's a billionaire. Like, right. does that affect your decision at all? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess so, honestly. But... But what if it's, like, Jeff Bezos, literally? What if, like, ugh. this whole thing happens with Jeff Bezos? Yeah, Gross. exactly. I I would say, like, what I thought um, was weird in this is that the goo got no, like, pushback on the fact that he was, like, flirting with another woman. And I guess it's because everybody hated Clarice so much and that's why they wrote her that way. But nobody gave him any pushback at all about, like, being with another woman a month before his wedding. Yeah. And, like, even she was like, I'm going to give it a go. And, you know... I think that obviously it's not Kirstie Alley nor Maya's responsibility to encourage him to be faithful to his terrible fiance. Yeah, I say shoot your shot, girl. Yeah, I mean, I was, I think I would have been 
Um, I think she did stand her ground a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. She did leave. She walked out on him when he took a phone call in front of her. Right. Which I thought was a strong move. But I think I would shoot my shot and be like, okay, if you're going to go to this wedding, I don't think I would have gone in the chapel like her, though. I think that that was my barrier. I did like, though, how Alyssa, like, stomped her foot and was like, Diane, get over here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. She was basically, she was the one forcing the issue. Kirstie Alley, I don't think, wanted to, but then, you know. And then once the goot saw her, it was just over. (laughs) Once he saw her... In that floor-length blazer (laughs) and funeral dress, he was like, "Mm, I need a piece of that. He was like, damn. (laughs) You got to shoot your shot if the sparks were as intense as they, you know, if it's a can't eat, can't sleep, shoot for the stars, over the fence, World Series kind of shit, I think you got to. I also find it fascinating that that Kirstie Alley, who was, again, 44 when she shot this movie, her character, I'm guessing, was also 44. And that's that's a very, like, naive attitude to have towards love at 44. But cool. <laughs> yeah. I can see why maybe she was, she was single. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, I think I would definitely do it. I would fall for somebody and then help to stop their wedding. What is life other than just a series of events like this, you know? The yeah. more dramatic, the better. I think, if anything else, like, it'd be a good story. Exactly. Yeah. Except for, in my case, it just really doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, no, 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 Whitney, I have zero interest in you. I don't know what you got into your head. I'm clearly marrying this socialite so that my wealth will be protected. <laughs> do, do you think that a food fight meant love? Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to help you pay your student loans. It's it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, can we also talk about real fast? Sorry. Um, people yeah. are like, have they tried to end this like 15 times? <laughs> the, the fact that they like jump into a lake and it's supposed to be like this sexy wet t-shirt moment, but she's literally in a tarp yeah. and she emerges from the water. Like, I know. And it's like, it's like floating up around her. Yeah. Yeah. Just really, I, all I could think was like, I don't know if you've ever gotten like jeans wet. Yeah, it's awful. And it gets really heavy. Yeah. And like the fact that he was able to play a trick on her by like getting out of the water and climbing to like the top of the tower so that she thought that he was like underneath the water still. You couldn't do that. You would be so heavy. <laughs> it's like a, like the only thing I really quit is she was like a post like water ride. Yes. Oh, so sick. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, I think that's it. I think so, too. We heavily covered the movie. Recommend watching it. <laughs> Please watch this. This one, honestly, really holds up, I think, except for the butt kiss thing. Yeah. Other than that, and, and obviously the goot, but other than those two glaring <laughs> other than those mistakes two points. of a movie, this movie really was great. And Kirstie Alley, God help her, she was great in it. So yeah, um, you know, our next movie, we'll try and figure it out. We're going to see what's available. We might have a guest coming on soon for a Christmas special. If anybody, you know, wants to rate review, um, please do so. Follow us on Instagram uh, at YouGottaDudePod. I'm at Dina Day. I'm at Whitney R. Peterson. Uh, maybe we'll do like a, a poll for our next movie on our yeah. podcast Instagram. Or if anybody like, you know, has, we'll just do a little question box suggestions. We'll try and see what's available. Although last time that let us 
real astray. <laughs> I'm sorry. Again, I'm sorry. No, I mean, no, you suggested you got at it. I'm the one that found that particular episode. There right. was mutual things that happened there. That's true. I still blame myself. <laughs> but anyways, uh, thank you so much for listening. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.